Northwestern, I'm very excited to introduce our speaker today. We have our CFO, John Somerville, speaking today. Um, John, you are awesome. We, I'm so excited to hear from you today. Um, you have a history in General Mills, worked at General Mills, so maybe hear a story or two, I'm not sure. But if not, that's okay. But yeah, fun fact. Um, would you all give John a warm welcome as we hear from him today? Well, it was at a school much like Northwestern that five guys rented a house near campus for their senior year. As far as houses go, I understand it wasn't special except it had a really big fireplace that made for an inviting living room, although the rest of the house wasn't anything to speak about. Now, most guys would have looked on that year as a great chance to hang out, have a few yucks, watch ESPN and Marvel movies and play video games, but my friend John and his friends had something different in mind. The spring before, Paul, one of the other four, wrote all of them a letter and he asked them to make a commitment to live the next year intentionally, not just to have a good time, but to be involved in each other's lives and to encourage and challenge each other to grow socially, intellectually, and spiritually during that final year in college. Later, John told me that that year shaped all five of them in profound ways. They spoke often. They earnestly talked about ideas, but it wasn't just about their classes, about literature and theology and chemistry, art and history, but it was about the kind of people that they wanted to become, the goals that they had for their lives and the ways that they hoped God would use them in the decades ahead. Their goal that year was true Christian community. Together they wanted to become people of character with values shaped by scripture and with lives shaped by Jesus Christ. The commitment didn't end with graduation because for the next years they kept in touch regularly. They shared struggles, sought advice, continued to challenge one another to grow. And they supported each other through the shared goal of finding meaning and purpose in life and to be available and be used by God. But above all, they continued to challenge one another spiritually. You've been in a series this year on the one another's that we find in the New Testament, about a hundred of them, all sorts of different uh, references to how we are to live, but all of it is, 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 uh, assumes that we are not to do the Christian life on our own, that we do it in community. The Christian life, in, in the Christian life, we need others and others need us. One example of these is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Here's what the writer says. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The author of Hebrews is writing to people who were uh, worn down by life's difficulties. Some of them were living with guilt and shame, and others were struggling and suffering through persecution. But they all wanted to be faithful to God, but they were tempted to give up. So the author wrote, encouraging them to keep going. When you're feeling discouraged, he said, don't forget to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. Now verse 25, the verse I just read, is one that's often been used as a command for why we need to go to church. At least that's what I heard growing up. And let me just say that church attendance is part of it, but it's actually not the main point. It's true that there is a deep connection between involvement in a local church community and growing spiritually. But it's not the worship service, at least primarily, where this sort of thing happens, the thing that this writer wants to encourage them to do. In most churches today, what passes for a worship service is a a concert and then a TED talk. But that's not what the writer is talking about here today. 
What he's talking about actually doesn't happen in church services. He's talking about something much deeper, something found more often in, say, a small group or a spiritual friendship. Come together, he says, and encourage one another. It's a place for give and take, a place where we encourage one another, where they encourage us and we encourage them, a place where we know each other well and care deeply enough to point out things that need to get fixed in each other's lives. The writer's calling us to live in close community with one another so we can influence each other for good. Now in the first verse, in verse 24, he says something similar, but he doesn't say it the way that you might expect. Instead of saying, when you consider how you can do better at loving people and doing good, he says, let us consider. The first would be a way that would be just simply an individual command to be good and to love. And that's right and biblical, but that's not what he says. What he makes clear here, he or she who's writing this, is that this is a community thing. The point here is that you can't do this Jesus thing on your own. You need each other, whether through a small group or spiritual friends. You need others in your lives, and it's there that you will find comfort, encouragement, and challenge. You can go to church every week and chapel every day and not do what this text says. The only way to live this out is to be a part of a community that is committed to be involved in each other's lives. And the only way you can experience that, the kind of life that God has for you in real transformation, is to be in each other's lives. So in verse 24, there's some helpful advice on what this looks like. And it starts by saying, let us consider, which means to think, stop and think, to reflect, to think about deeply, and then to encourage one another to be loving people and to do the good that God has for you to do and we're to do this in community. That means to think of ways that we can help each other become better, wiser, more loving, and caring people. In other words, to encourage one another to be like Jesus Christ. And for this to happen, you have to let other people in. To, to open up about what hurts you have, what struggles you're going through, and to be willing to let others hold you accountable. The way this happens, he says, is by spurring one another on or motivating each other or in an older translation, to provoke one another. That may sound a bit strange, but the word provoke is actually probably the best translation of this ancient Greek word. And the reason we don't use it, our translators don't use it today, is because the word's taken on a negative connotation. To provoke suggests the idea of picking a fight or trying to get under someone's skin. So while it's probably better for us today to use words like encourage or motivate or stir up, we can't lose the strength of that original word, that word provoke. So I'll admit, it does sound strange to tell you to provoke your friends to do something good or to love one another. But this is serious business, serious enough that we ought to at least entertain the idea that it's okay to be irritating in each other's lives from time to time. The stakes are that high. Now let me just say, that this is not an excuse to be a jerk. You're not to deliberately annoy one another, and you're not to provoke each other to anger and to fear. The spirit isn't in that. But you are to encourage one another, even provoke in a way that is uplifting and encouraging. Provoke them to a life characterized by love and Christian faithfulness. The world around us will see then the kind of life that is produced when Christ is living in us and through us. Now, on the other side of the equation, you can also be a little bit too nice. You see, some of you need to dial it up a bit. You're far too nice, and niceness is not kindness. You see, if you have a friend who's making a serious mistake and you're just nice, you're not helping them. Now, sure, 
When you say what you need to say, be gracious, don't be a jerk, but don't hold back on what needs to be said because you're concerned how someone will react. Speak the truth, do it in love, but also speak directly. The kind of community the author is talking about here, he says, is to provoke one another to love and good deeds, to encourage each other to love one another deeply, and to do good, beautiful, precious, and useful things. To take care of those who are around us, especially those the world overlooks, the poor, the disabled, those who are struggling with difficulties you may know nothing about. To serve immigrants and to be people of reconciliation who see racial justice as a value that is embedded in the scriptures. And even perhaps, and perhaps especially, to do good to those you disagree with politically in this polarized age. As Christians, we're to reach out to those the world despises, to love and serve people that you may even have been taught once to look down upon. In Galatians chapter five, Paul contrasts two, way of li- two ways of life. One he calls the life of the flesh and the other he calls the life of the spirit. The life of the flesh, he says, are things like sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, and so on. And when you read a list like this, your first reaction is, well, hey, I'm not doing too bad. I'm not sleeping around and I'm not dabbling in witchcraft. But if you read more carefully, you may realize, oh, wait a second, I have a quick fuse. Or, yeah, I'm jealous of my roommate and her new boyfriend. Or you've let yourself get in with a group of people who are saying inflammatory things, trying to stir up and divide people, maybe even here on campus. But even more, we need to listen to the next list that Paul has when he talks about the life of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. These are the qualities that should characterize our lives of those who have decided to make Jesus Christ their Lord. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, in the time that we have remaining, I just want to talk about how we can be practical, how we can put these writers' advice into practice. And the first suggestion is to find some good friends. There's an old expression that says that you are the friends that you keep. That's because the people that you hang out with, that influence you, will, you'll find that their values become your values. Their strengths rub off and so do their vices. So if you want to change, if you want to be the kind of people that uh, honor God, you'll be with people who do exactly that. People who will support, encourage, and even challenge you to be the kind of people you need to be. People who are wise and godly and committed to see you grow. People of character who love God and love others. When you are with people like that, one of the things you can do is be bold. You can tell them that they have permission to challenge you. Listen to what they point out and what you need to take care of. And if you do that, you will grow. You'll love others more deeply and you will do the kinds of things that honor God. Whatever you do, don't surround yourself with people who just tell you what you want to hear. Tell Uh, Instead, surround yourself with people who will tell you the truth, people who will hold you accountable, people willing to tell you what you do need to hear, not just what you want to hear. That's because your flaws, the kinds of things that trip you up, are often very difficult for you to see. Most of us tend to minimize or even rationalize our faults, but a wise friend can see clearly, see us clearly the way that we really are. By the way, one of the ways that you can know that you're in danger is when you tell your friends something like this you know what, that's none of your business. If you're doing that, I can tell you from experience that choosing to live that way will often lead to heartache and to disaster. A second suggestion is to be willing to listen. Once you have friends like this, 
um, go ahead and invite them to have permission to point out things that might need to change. And I'm not going to lie, it may sting even more than a little bit from time to time. You'll be tempted to make excuses, rationalize, and minimize, but don't do it. Listen to them. Because often, the advice you think you need least is the advice that you need most. And by the way, you can do this proactively. You don't need to just wait until they take a risk and say something. You can ask questions. So if you're with a wise friend or mentor, say to them, you know, am I on the right track? Is there something I need to change, something I can do better? And when they speak, listen and take it in with the goal of understanding. And don't always just listen to those that you agree with. Sometimes what you're doing is just simply trying to find someone who will let you do what you want to do. So don't make excuses, don't try to shift blame, listen with the intent to understand. Now all that raises a question. What if you disagree with what someone says, the advice they give, the feedback they give you? The truth is your friends may not always be right. Sometimes you'll get feedback or advice that doesn't ring true. But before you dismiss it, ask yourself some questions. Ask, why do I disagree? If it's because you think it's lousy advice, then fine. But if it's because what your friend is suggesting is something you really don't want to do, then maybe you ought to pause for a moment and, and think. Check your motives as well. Remember that we have a tremendous capacity for self-deception. By the way, it's important to have a variety of people in your lives, and many of whom may be of different ages or stages of life. If you're 19 and the only people you listen to are 19, most likely you are the blind leading the blind. And that's not to say that you can't get good advice from your friends. Some of you have friends who are really wise. Listen to them. But you also need a few others who have a little bit more life experience. They can be very helpful to you. So it could be a pastor or professor or maybe an older brother or sister of a friend of yours. Seek people like this out and you will become wise as well. 30 years ago, I was working for General Mills when a mentor of mine asked me to, uh, to get together. I liked my work, I was doing well, the pay was great, and over dessert at a restaurant, he asked me a question. He said, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? You see, he saw potential in me that I didn't, and five years later, I left General Mills to go to work at a church, and a few years after that, that same mentor challenged me to consider leading a team to start a new church. And then this last fall, he uh, contacted me and mentioned to Dr. Curitan that, hey, there's an open position at Northwestern, and maybe John would be a good fit for that. It's amazing how one question 30 years ago has led to an entirely different trajectory for my life than I might have envisioned. So listen to your peers, listen to mentors, but you can also listen to those younger than you. My wife and I have our youngest, we have two daughters, and our youngest is 25, her name's Hannah, and a couple of years ago I was going through a difficult time. Um, I had been unfairly criticized, and it really bothered me. And one day, during Thanksgiving uh, week, she said to me, Dad, you know what? You need to let it go. She said, are you willing to let God have the last word even when you can't? Wisdom from a 23-year-old. So wisdom can come from anywhere. Be prepared to listen. The next thing we need to do is to take a risk and speak up. Again, I said some of you have a hard time listening, but some of you have a hard time speaking up. You're hesitant to let a friend know that maybe you think they're going in the wrong direction. And we talked earlier about how you need to do that. Don't do it as a jerk, but also don't be too silent. Don't be too nice. And it can be hard to do, but sometimes the most loving thing you can do for a friend 
is challenge them on something that may need to change in their lives. A lens I've found helpful in situations like that is to think this way, to think about caring deeply and speaking directly at the same time. Caring deeply and speaking directly at the same time. Too often we fall to one extreme or the other. Either we speak directly and we're jerks and we're just obnoxious, or we care deeply and fail to speak up at all, which is not doing our friends any good. So don't be silent when you see a friend going down the wrong path. And also don't scold or be harsh about every little thing. But remember, if you can care deeply and speak directly at the same time, you'll get that balance right. The house that Kathy and I lived in for 23 years with our kids had a fourth bedroom in the lower level uh, along with a, a, a separate bath. So it, it was easy for us to have other people live with us for short periods of time. At one point over about a year, a year and a half period, we had three different friends of ours live with us, all of them going, men going through divorces. And they had various degrees of responsibility for their situations. And it was a tough time for them and it also made an impression on our then teenage daughters. When the last of the three was living with us, one time just spontaneously, out of the blue, my oldest daughter said to me, Dad, if I'm ever dating a guy and you don't think he's good for me, will you tell me? Will you say something? You see, she'd picked up that when you choose a spouse, you really need to choose carefully. So I told her I would, but I also warned her. I said, you know what? If that happens, it is possible that you might not listen. Now, fortunately for her and for us, she chose well, and this weekend, she and her husband, Seth, are celebrating their second wedding anniversary. But understand that it is hard. It is hard to listen, and it's hard to speak up, but both are important. A fourth suggestion is to catch your friends doing good. Many of you, I hope, will one day be parents, and children Children need lots and lots of correction. Parenting experts suggest that children, though, need five times more encouraging words than they do words of correction. They tell us also that one of the most powerful ways to shape your child's behavior is to catch them doing good. And I think the same thing applies to Christian community. You see, what gets reinforced gets repeated. So think about catching your friends doing good. If a friend of yours does something kind or generous, give them an attaboy. If someone holds their tongue when they might normally have said something snarky, say well done. Equally important is to encourage a friend who's struggling to make a right decision or facing a difficult situation. Just tell them, you can do this, you've got this. All of us need encouragement to do the right thing. It's a little positive peer pressure from time to time. It's helpful. So how can we put all this together? Well, first, I'd challenge you to think about who you need to have in your life. Maybe someone you might call your uh, Hebrews 10.24 friend. Someone you invite and give permission to speak into your life about the things that they see, both positive and negative. And remember here, the goal is to see one another grow to be more like Christ, to be people whose lives overflow with the fruit of the Spirit, people of grace and truth, people who shine with the love of Jesus. And keep that correction and encouragement in balance, looking for ways to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So this week, let me encourage you to encourage someone else. Maybe it's a friend who's struggling with guilt and shame and needs to hear a word of grace. Or someone who's deeply discouraged and needs to hear words of comfort. Or a roommate who lacks confidence and just needs to be affirmed. 
Or a classmate who's brokenhearted and needs to hear words of healing and peace. Maybe it's someone on your floor who struggles with doubt and needs a word of hope. Likewise, look for someone who maybe needs a word of challenge. A friend who's grown complacent, maybe even stuck in obvious patterns of sin and needs a kick in the pants. Or someone who's become proud and full of themselves and needs to be taken down a notch or two. Or someone who says thoughtless and unkind things and needs a gracious warning. Or perhaps, and this is particularly for guys, someone who talks about women in a way that suggests all they view them for is physical appearance and not for who they are. Don't let them do it. Tell them to stop it. Or someone who speaks about those in minority communities in ways that reflects racial stereotypes. Remind them that each one of us is equal with Jesus Christ. That we have great dignity and are made in the image of God. And again, tell them to stop it. Or maybe it's a friend who always spreads the latest gossip, saying things that might be true, but are not kind or necessary or uplifting. The goal here is to become more like Jesus Christ, to see our lives reflect the fruit of the Spirit, to encourage one another in good times and in bad, in faith or in doubt, in joy or in pain, and to protect each other from falling into sin. Each week, you're with people who need you, people who are hurting, people who need the love and care that only you can provide, and sometimes people who need a challenge, people who can also encourage and challenge you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to find some really good friends, people who love you and love us and are willing to speak up, to take a risk when things in our lives might be going in the wrong direction, who are willing to listen to us and to care for us. And may we listen when they provide an opportunity um, to, to uh, when they tell us things that we need to hear. May we also catch our friends doing good so we can reinforce the good things that they're doing. And may we do this in a way that provokes one another to be loving people and to do the good that God has for each of us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.